Hello and welcome back to Meet the Investigators from the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. I'm your host, Carmen Molina Costa, and I'm a producer here at ICIJ. If you're joining us for the first time today, Meet the Investigators is a podcast where we hear from ICIJ journalists from across the globe. Today, we're talking to Paul Lewis. I'm head of investigations at The Guardian newspaper, and it was in that capacity that I oversaw, in conjunction with colleagues at the ICIJ, the Uber files. More than 100,000 company documents known as the Uber file. A bombshell investigation. Documents reportedly show the ride-hailing giant used extreme steps to aggressively expand worldwide. This July marked the one-year anniversary of the Uber files, a global project that revealed Uber's ruthless early expansion and how the company flouted laws, exploited violence against its drivers, and secretly lobbied governments to sidestep regulation and become the tech giant we know today. For this episode, we're looking back on that investigation and its impact. Paul is taking us to the very beginning. Almost all stories start with the source. In most of the, uh, the countries under my jurisdiction, Uber was not allowed, was not authorized, was not legal. That's Mark McGann the source at the heart of this story. McGann used to be the chief lobbyist for Uber in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. Since the investigation was published, he's come forward as the whistleblower who first approached The Guardian with the 189.69 gigabytes of leaked data that came to be known as the Uber files. The mantra that people repeated from one office to another was uh, the mantra from the top. So don't ask for permission, just launch, hustle. It's quite rare for someone right at the top to decide they want to lift the lid on what's really been happening. He was in a very unique position, a place that we rarely, really ever get to see into, which is, you know, in the room with the chief executive at the time, Travis Kalanick and other senior executives at the company. I was the one talking to governments. I was the one pushing this with the media. I was the one telling people that they should change the rules because drivers were going to benefit and people were going to get so much economic opportunity that when that turned out not to be the case, we had actually sold people a lie. How can you have a clear conscience if you don't stand up and own your contribution to how people are being treated today? So Mark contacted The Guardian, and Paul and the team agreed they needed to meet him in person, in a neutral location, Switzerland. It was on the shores of Lake Geneva, and uh, I remember seeing Mark come up, and he was he was rolling his suitcase and I thought oh has he just got off his plane or or, you know we'd scheduled to see each other for a few days is he planning to fly off prematurely but within a few minutes I realized that in this suitcase were laptops hard drives phones and other devices reams of paperwork notepads this was the information that he was considering giving us those files Paul says ended up providing an unprecedented window into what was happening behind the scenes at what had been the world's most valuable startup. The files included discussions at the highest level of the company, between senior executives and government officials, memos, text messages, emails. So much of of lobbying just happens behind the scenes. I mean, almost never do you get to see the actual exchange of the text messages between somebody like Emmanuel Macron, who is then economy minister, and somebody like Travis Kalanick, who was the chief executive of Uber. So it was as much about the texture and the nature of the material as it was about the revelations, I think, that made us think that this was a, a really unique story. 
The leak spanned a five-year period, but this was the period when Uber was basically imposing itself on markets around the world. And when the law was not constructed in a way that was favorable to its business interests, it was breaking the law and then trying to change the law. And so what the Uber files was able to do is just pull back the curtains on the behind the scenes process of how that was happening. It was very quickly clear to us that this material was relevant in countries all around the world because, because Mark McGann had been operating all over the world. So when the Guardian team touched down in London, it started to become obvious that this story was much, much bigger than them. And so they decided to reach out and share the data with ICIJ. The project expanded to include 180 journalists from 29 countries. So there was an opportunity in deciding to share with the ICIJ to draw on the resource that lots of different investigative journalists in the network could bring to bear. You know, these are people who are brilliant investigators and they have time and they have expertise and they know their countries really well. There is a moral case when you have access to such an incredible treasure trove of journalistic material to make it as available to as many journalists as possible. Paul, can you speak a bit to what that collaboration process was like? It's a little bit like herding cats. You know, investigative journalists do not particularly like being told what to do. They all have their own ideas of what their own stories are. They need to be given freedom. We share information as we go along. And so all of that worked seamlessly well. There are always complications whenever you're trying to get uh, lots of people in different time zones with different editorial priorities to loosely coordinate. That said, there is an enormous amount of goodwill on these projects. You know, there really is, because uh, we may have slightly different ideas about what a story should be or what the priority should be or when certain stories should be published, but we are we are all basically batting for the same side. You see that people are willing to put aside the particular interests of their own news organisation for the wider good. The Uber files, when it came out, sparked immediate protests. And triggered inquiries across Europe, including a parliamentary probe in France. Nous recevons aujourd'hui les représentants de la société Uber, principaux concernés par les sujets traités par notre commission d'enquête. Uber's new CEO told French lawmakers that Uber today is a totally different company that had moved from an era of confrontation to collaboration. Last month, the report from that parliamentary inquiry was published. It found serious flaws in the country's system of governing the gig economy and criticized members of the French cabinet for their close ties to Uber executives, particularly now President Emmanuel Macron. I think the Uber files revelations did give real serious impetus to EU officials and lawmakers to try to tip the balance in the favor uh, uh, of employees rather than gig economy companies. I, I would also just say, like, I mean, for me, you know, the impact was also about just giving members of the public, civil society, a window into how money buys power. Like that in itself has a real value. Often we we like to think about impact in terms of um, legislative change, inquiries, reports, if you like, the establishment taking us seriously. But some of the best journalism doesn't result in that. Um, but it has real profound impact on the way people think and understand the world around them. And I, I really do hope that the Uber files did achieve that, that, that for people who were reading it, um, it was an opportunity for them to reconsider the relationship they have with gig economy workers and the model 
that has led, frankly, to gig economy workers working on, you know, um, appalling wages and having really substandard employment conditions. We did hear from from Uber drivers and their union, and, and for them, the Uber files was a really significant moment too, because here was firm evidence backing up much of what they had been saying for a very long time. Paul, one year later, what are some of those big existential questions that the Uber files brought up that we as a society still have yet to tackle? What's the sort of lasting, long-term impact of this investigation? The structural inequality that Silicon Valley has enabled through the gig economy obviously remains. And I think there's going to be a continual tussle as people then subsequently, lawmakers, try to redress the balance and put some regulations around these loose freelance relationships. But on a on a sort of more foundational level, I think there's a basic issue about about tech and power. This was a company that was based in San Francisco that quite frankly didn't really care what the law was like in other countries. There's something quite imperial about the way in which Uber was operating. That cultural feature of big tech is an issue that stretches beyond just gig economy companies that they believe themselves to be above and beyond the law in some circumstances outside of the US. They have become, they believe, some of them, too big to regulate. The Uber files found the company used stealth technology to thwart intervention by law enforcement, including a kill switch that cut off access to the company's data during police raids. Executives also courted world leaders, government officials, economists, and oligarchs to ensure favorable policies, even when their model ran directly counter to the law. I mean, it, it, it really was extraordinary, I think, that a company could access the upper echelons of government in such a seamless way with virtually no accountability or record of some of these interactions that were happening. I mean, to give you one example that for me was sort of very stark, you know, there was this moment when Joe Biden, was he was at the time vice president, was traveling to Davos. And Travis Kalanick, who at the time was Uber's CEO, was going to have a meeting with him. And the vice president was running late. This meeting was going to take place in a hotel. And Kalanick wanted to know why the vice president was late. And he'd sent a WhatsApp message to his colleagues. He says, I'm at the Intercontinental waiting for Biden, who is late. And then he says, I've had my people let him know that every minute late he is, is one less minute he will have with me. And that obviously tells me quite a lot about how Kalanick, and I would guess other senior chief executives and CEOs of big tech companies in America, see their relationship with lawmakers. They think they're beneath them. They don't think they should be beholden to them. And, you know, ever since the advent of big tech, there has been this sort of tension with democracies that feel like they need, they need to regulate it. Where do journalists fit into a world like that? With the watchdogs, effectively. And when other institutions fail to properly hold companies or industries to account, you know, we're the failsafe as journalists. It's the fourth estate. That's when we come into play. And I think it is the case that regulators and governments did struggle with a company like Uber. And, and so that's what made the journalism we were able to do all the more important. Paul got his start at The Guardian as a trainee reporter, but quickly realized his love for investigative storytelling. 
Now as an editor, he gets to shepherd lots of different projects to the finish line. Paul, what advice do you have for someone getting their start in investigative work? good general rule is go to somewhere that other people aren't. You know, there's lots of journalists swimming like fish pursuing the same subject areas. They might be in the same place physically. Uh, but often it's the path less trodden that will yield the most exciting and interesting stuff. And so, yeah, swimming against the current is, I think, quite a smart thing to do if you're starting out, even if it takes a very, very long time, even if there are moments where you feel like you're not going to get to the end, even if there are periods of reassessment or changes of direction, but just sticking with it is worth it. Because, you know, if you do that enough times, then eventually it will pay off. That was Paul Lewis from The Guardian. You can read up on the latest of the Uber files on our website, icaj.org. And that's it for this month's Meet the Investigators. I'm Carmen Molina Costa. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next month.